You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is who you are this morning and every day. If you belong to Jesus, you are his church. That's the good news. The bad news is, is that humanity has many problems. But one of those problems is our infatuation with aliens. Like, we have an infatuation with aliens, which is a bit ironic, and I'll point that out in just a moment, but it's also a bit morbid. Because in all the scenarios, at least most of them that I've seen, whether it's in a book or a comic book or in movies, these aliens will come and then either eat us or eviscerate us or destroy our world. So I don't know why we want that. But it seems to be something that we have a real infatuation with. Like we seem to want conflict with, with something that would kill us. And this is not a new obsession. This has really been going on forever. And I'm about to date myself a little bit, but I'm pretty sure most of y'all know already that I'm close to 39. So that ain't funny. I, wanna, I, I want to uh, talk about some of the movies that came out when I was much younger. Like the first kind of alien movie I remember was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and that came out in 1977. Then there was like E.T. I love that one. That's a classic if you haven't seen. 1982, in case you forgot. A little before that was... Alien, that was 1979 with Sigourney Weaver, and that, then it was Alien 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and I don't know however many there are now, but then there was Predator, right, with Arnold, the governor, and then, then there was Alien versus Predator, right, we had that. Uh, the new one, if you're into comics and the Marvel Universe, any Marvel fans in here, you can admit it, it's okay, we're all nerds together. And um, this, this has kind of brought uh, uh, the alien, the scroll, kind of into the new uh, Disney Plus world, Marvel world, and we're kind of introduced to that alien. And the point of all this is, although I don't believe in extraterrestrials, here's the ironic thing. I do believe in aliens because I am one. Now, before you lose your mind... If you belong to Jesus, so are you too. If you belong to him, this is not your home. You are in fact, the scripture says, an alien. Not an extraterrestrial, but a foreigner, an exile in this world. So I want to read our text for this morning. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there and read it with me. It'll also be up on the screen. And it says this, dear friends... I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, live such good lives. Some translations say, keep your behavior excellent 
among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. God, we pray that you would take your word today and that you would change us, transform us, heart, soul, and mind from the inside out. This is the word of the Lord. I'm picking up today in our series, Chosen Exiles, which we left off on about five weeks ago when we started our summer series with all of our guests who came in here. And we're continuing to look at the book of 1 Peter. Today we're finishing up chapter 2 because it's taken us that long to go from chapter 1 into verse 2. So just some brief contextual connection to the previous message that we did that was some weeks ago. 1 Peter 2.9, which I just actually said a moment ago out of our worship time, says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter, in that particular verse, is pointing out that we, the church that we just sang about, we are the church that God is building, born again believers in Jesus Christ. We're not who we used to be. That's what Peter's saying. You're not who you used to be anymore. You're a new race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession now. You've been bound together as one new people. This means in Christ, all of our differences, whether they're ethnic, language, culture, socioeconomic, educational, all of those differences have to bow. They have to yield to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit who now unites us as one over all of those things that make us divided. This is why relationships but specifically diverse but unified relationships testify of the gospel so powerfully. When we live out our oneness in Christ because of our new lives that he's given us in real time with real people that are different than us, we are evidence of God's miraculous work of his ability through the gospel to make new creations. The oneness of the church, the oneness of our diverse but unified relationships is the apologetic to the world that God sent his one and only son Jesus into the earth to save us and then to send us back into the earth for his glory. Jesus has made the church so that we would, as 1 Peter 2.9 says, declare his marvelous, miraculous work of saving sinners and making all things new. The power of the gospel that is in Christ, the Holy Spirit, sanctifies all of our cultural and ethnic distinctives, redeeming us in such a way that makes us God's reconciled, beautiful people called the church. That's our testimony. That's the testimony that we have and that we're supposed to live out, not just in this room, but outside of these four walls. But it doesn't come without a fight. It doesn't come without a fight to get it. And it doesn't come without a fight to keep it. Can I get an amen? The new people that God has made us is going to be a battle that we fight for the rest of our lives to stay one. The church is beautiful when this describes who we are in 1 Peter 2, 9, but there is a battle to remain beautiful. 
Better stated, it's hard work to fulfill the purpose that God has for us as his church, to be who we are and to do what God has saved us to do. There's a battle for that. And according to 1 Peter 2.9, our purpose is to what? Is to make his name famous in the earth by declaring that he is a savior that has rescued us from death. He's brought us from death to life. We make his name famous by declaring that. The next question that I believe our text today answers is, well, how do we do that? How do we make the name of God famous? How do we make the name of God renowned in the earth as his people, the church? These verses give a pattern. We talked about a pattern last week. It gives a pattern that we see from all of Scripture. If we get this backwards, if we miss this pattern, then we don't stand a chance to be the beautiful church that God's called us to be. And here's the pattern. We live from the inside out. Not the other way around. We live, here's what 1 Peter is saying here in this verse, we live from the inside out. The two issues that dominate these two verses, verses 11 and 12, that dominate really the whole of the New Testament are the salvation of the human soul, that's the inside, and the glory of God, that's the outside. That's really what dominates all of the New Testament. The grand narrative of the Bible and in these particular passages of 1 Peter tell us how our souls might not be destroyed and how the glory of God might not be disparaged. How we are going to be saved to give glory to God, to live from the inside out. So back to living from the inside out. The most important thing about your life and your living for God For his fame, for his renown, the most important thing for you to be able to do that is your inner life. It is your cultivating a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we don't cultivate an inner life with Christ, we're going to lose the battle for our soul and forget giving glory to God. So the first battle is the battle for our souls, specifically here in this verse, an internal battle for our desires, Peter says. Passions, if you will. In verse 11, Peter says, dear friends, I urge you, there's urgency here, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Let's ask a rhetorical question. What is the purpose of war? It says it's waging war against your soul. What is the purpose of war? It is to win by destroying your opponent. What this verse tells us is that the human soul is in danger of being destroyed. Breaking news, a war is being waged against your soul in this world. And if the war is successful, your soul is lost. Not just for a minute, but for eternity. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is so important. If the soul is lost, the whole person is lost. And there is no way to negotiate to get it back. When this war for your soul is over, it's over. It's unlike the wars that we hear about in the news that are so far off, they don't seem to touch us. They don't seem to affect us in our own minds. But this war affects everybody without exception. And it affects everybody, not momentarily, but forever. 
and we don't recover or come back or rebuild after this war because its outcome is final and eternal. We wage a lot of wars in this world. We talk about this all the time, and they're all, many of them, very noble, very, very good wars, wars against injustices, wars against diseases and societal ills, like we have a, a war against cancer, a war against hunger, war against human trafficking and drugs, and yet as, as noble and as right and as righteous as all of those things are, what about the war for our souls, our inner lives as it relates to our relationship with God? Is it any wonder that Peter begins this second section, just like he did the first section in chapter 1, verse 1, by calling us aliens and exiles. Peter's trying to remind us to fight to be aliens. It's kind of like you'd say to this world, all right, you've got an infatuation with aliens, well, be one and stay one. Fight, first of all, to be aliens and exiles in this world as it relates to your passions and your desires. That's what he's saying. Be different as it relates to your desires, which means reorienting your desires and your passions to that of not this home, but your real home. It means making God your passion and desire. It means filling your mind with the things that exhibit the greatness and the value and the beauty and the truth of God. It means ruthlessly cutting out all of the things that stimulate desires that compete with God. It means creating a pattern of devotion to God in prayer, which we talked about last week. And man, I hope some of you started to implement that this week, where you started a different kind of pattern. I must have said that in a, a few different times. I was sitting in the general WhatsApp of our church. I'm doing a different pattern this morning. Or I told my wife, why are you getting up and, and doing this and eating? I'm starting a new pattern. I'm trying to do something different today that's this, from what I've been doing. I want to have a pattern of devotion, a prayer to God to cultivate that passion of my desires for Him. I remember I said, that in, said this in this week's Live It, that my grandmother used to have uh, both of them. Oh, there's my glasses. My, my grandmother used to have these patterns, right? And she would have these fabrics. She'd lay out this whatever, the, whatever you call that, uh, just whole thing of fabric. And, and then it would be wide. And then she'd lay this pattern on top of the fabric, right? And she'd cut out the pattern. And all the fabric that was on the outside was obviously stuff that we weren't going to use. And that she was going to make something beautiful out of this pattern. And here's the reality for us is that we lay the pattern of Christ's life on top of ours with all of its stuff that's unchristlike. And we allow him by our devotion to him to begin to cut out all the things that don't line up with who we're supposed to be in Christ. To make something beautiful for his glory. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that applause. <laughs> the second issue is the glory and the fame of God. How will it not be disparaged? How will the glory of God not be denigrated or belittled in this life through our lives? This means the second battle going on in your life is the outside part, the outer life of the things that you do that's supposed to flow from the inner life of who you are. The first battle is, yes, the inner life, but now it's the outer life. Here's the reality. When our souls belong to Jesus, our actions are supposed to look like Jesus. So if there's something inner that has taken place that's changed us from the inside out, then the outside should look different. So this war being waged in your life is an external battle for your actions, an internal battle for your desires, 
and an external battle for your actions. We're supposed to have an external life that flows from that alien heart of a love for God above all things. If the marvelous works of God are going to be made known and the reputation and the renown of God is going to spread, if the fame of God is going to become more famous, we will have to get beyond just desires for God to deeds that people see that glorify God. Hello? Oh, I love God with all of my heart. Then prove it with what I do for His glory. Not to prove somehow to God that I'm worthy because I'm not. That's not the point. It's to prove that I belong to Him. Verse 12 says it this way, live such good lives. Keep your behavior excellent among the pagans, the unbeliever, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. Live in such a way, he's saying, that their accusations about you seem ludicrous to anybody that has eyes to see. Could could you imagine the church living in such a way of love and kindness and compassion that the accusations against the church and the people of God from the outside world would seem ludicrous as it relates to us for anybody that had eyes to see? We often live as if the goal of our actions and our behavior is to draw attention to ourselves. Look at me. Praise me. Give me the accolades. Give me the glory that's due my name. The goal of our lives is to live in such a way that our actions and words direct people's attention away from us or through us, you could say, to the glory of God. Verse 12, Peter's statement is this, how we can make the name of God famous. It's a paraphrase of Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's what Peter's saying, that your deeds, your living your good lives, your excellent behavior would point to the fact that the reason that you're living this way is because of something that has taken place on the inside first. If we live our lives in such a way that they don't point people to the glory of God, then from a Christian perspective, we're wasting our lives. You're wasting your life. We don't look like aliens. We don't look like exiles so many times. We fit so perfectly into this world that our lives don't point beyond this world. We're simply conforming citizens to a world that cares very little, if at all, about the God who breathed it into existence. Back to the scrolls that I mentioned a moment ago. Just let me nerd out for a minute. I've been collecting comics longer than most of you have been alive. Yes, it's one of the dark secrets of my life. But in these comic books and now coming to life on the television and Disney Plus are these scrolls. And scrolls are aliens that are shapeshifters. They can look like you. Matter of fact, the one might be here today. You'd never know because they look like humans. And here's the deal, they shapeshift, they conform to the world around them so that they blend right in and they're not noticed as the aliens that they are. And let me just tell you, you don't want to be a scroll. But yet that is what we are so many times in this life. We're shapeshifters. We look so much like the world around us that nobody would know that we're actually aliens and exiles from another planet, another place, another home called heaven. 
From the biblical standpoint, the greatest issue in this world is the glory of God. All human behavior is meant by God to get attention for whom? God. Live such good lives that people notice God. Have such excellent behavior that people will glorify God. As far as God's concerned, your life has purpose and significance to the degree that what you do from the time that you get up in the morning till the time that you lay your head on your bed at night gives glory to God by pointing people to Him. And you can say, well, what about my time alone that you were talking about last week and, you know, going off by yourselves? Don't forget that one of the people that you're pointing to God is yourself. Let's reiterate what has already been said. There are two great issues in the world. That is what? The salvation of the soul and the glory of God. That's what Peter's talking about. That's lived out in real time, in real relationships, in a spiritual war that we're all in whether we realize it or not. The battles waged in this war are battles for our internal passions and battles for our external actions. And the reason why this is so difficult and why we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives are numerous, but one in particular is that we no longer give weight to who God is and what God says in this world. One author wrote, one of the defining marks of our time is that God is now weightless. I do not mean that he is ethereal, but rather that he has become unimportant. He rests upon the world so inconsequentially as not to be noticeable. He goes on to say that many people declare they believe in God, but his existence has no real effect on their external lives. God is inconsequential. Why? Because we believe in him, but it doesn't change how we act and live in our lives. Did you know that belief in something and someone's existence does not equate to the valuing of that person's existence? Oh, I believe in God. How many times have you heard somebody say that? Oh, I, I believe in God. But, dot, dot, dot. Here's the good news, church, and this is what I want to encourage you today. As the people of God, and here in this local context, as, as in Focus Church, for you and I today, it doesn't take that many people to value the glory of God, to have a passion for His name, to have a zeal for living in such a way that brings glory to His name, to actually change the world. It doesn't take that many. It started with very few, and the church rapidly grew because there were just a few who lived in such a way that this was not their home and their passions and their desires were for God above all things and their actions proved it, many of them all the way to their martyrdom and death and the world began to change as the church was birthed. Let's talk a little bit more about how we can do that today. Peter is saying our identity as aliens and exiles will help us restore the weightiness of God in the earth. That's what he's saying. If, if we remember that we're aliens and exiles, we can restore the weightiness, which really the glory of God means the weight of God, the weight of God in the earth, the glory of God. That's why when the glory of God falls in, in, in any situation, whether that's happened in your life or not, or we read about it in Scripture, it's like everybody just keeps getting lower and lower. It's the heaviness, it's the weight of who God is, His holiness. And the reason we're aliens is given in verse 9. You're a chosen race 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light to declare to make his name famous in the earth. We belong to God. We belong to his kingdom. We're not of this world. We don't belong to America. We don't belong to any nation. We learn to live from him, not from our favorite news outlet, our favorite blogger, our favorite podcast, our favorite social media influencer. We are aliens because we belong to God. We're his possession. And if that's the case, then we have to cultivate a mindset of an exile. What this does mainly is it wakes us up so that we don't drift with the world and take for granted that the way the world thinks and the way the world acts is the best way to live and act. Like we're somehow on the lazy river of life. Well, I guess we're just going to go with the flow. Anybody ever been on one of those things? It's like it, it just, you just go around. It's, it, it's kind of weird and like that we like that. Mm. It's about as boring and relaxing, I guess, at the same time. I just saw that a minute ago. Saw that again. And that's how we live through life. It's like, oh, I guess we'll just keep on going around and around this circle. Lazy river of life. We don't assume as an alien or exile that what's blowing up our social media feeds and has invaded our algorithms is actually helpful to the soul. We don't assume that the priorities of for-profit companies and power-hungry governments are helpful to the soul. I mean, it's great that some of these people are creating all kinds of things, but Elon Musk doesn't have my soul in mind. We don't assume that any political party, I don't care which one it is, or any political figure is helpful and has your soul in mind. I don't assume that any new popular or culturally relevant thing that comes along is actually glorifying God and has my soul in mind. We stop, we pray, we think, we consult the wisdom of God, we look to His Word, we look to our own country, not this country, that would be heaven. We don't assume that everything that goes around, all around us is good for our soul and glorifies God. We get our directions from our God, our Sovereign, and His Word. When you see yourself as an alien and an exile with your citizenship in heaven and God is your great king, you stop going with every new fad and flow of culture as if this is somehow the lazy river of life. You consider and think about what is good for the soul and what honors God in everything that you do. Could you imagine with me for just a second? Before we sing a, a song in just a moment, can you imagine as we're singing about refining and God refining us? Because that's what he's doing. That's what he does through the preaching of his word. That's what's taking place right now. Yes, to evangelize the sinner, but to equip the believer. That's all going on in this moment through the power of the Holy Spirit. And could you imagine if God through his spirit is refining us, that all of a sudden we consider everything that we do in this life as something that is good for the soul and glorifies God? I'm talking you consider and think about what is good for the soul and what God honors God in what you buy, what you eat, 
what you wear, what you listen to, what you watch, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your resources. And here's the truth of God's Word. Here's what Peter's saying. Aliens get their directives from God, not the world. So one way to make God visible, one way to make God weighty for the sake of the world is to see ourselves as the aliens and exiles from heaven that we are. Another thing to notice about this internal battle for our desires in this text is that this battle for the soul and the battle for the glory of God starts with our desires. In verse 11 it says it starts with our desires. It starts with the desires and works into the behavior. The battle is waged initially in what you feel and then what you do. Because if the enemy can get you to think what you feel is fact, then what you do will follow what you feel. Did you follow me? And why is this important? Because what we do flows out of what we desire. That's why Peter is saying, be careful. I urge you to abstain from desires that are waging war against your soul. He's not saying that you're not going to have any desires. We're going to have them, but abstain from them and cultivate desires for God. We talk about this often. We've actually had this conversation in the last few weeks in my house and then here in the staff is just because you feel something doesn't mean it's a fact. That's the question that you need to ask yourself. Is this a feeling or is it a fact? Because what you feel, if it's true according to God's Word, will then cause you to do what glorifies God. Back to verse 11, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. So Peter says abstain from them. Then verse 12, Peter says we should keep our behavior excellent, that you should live such a good life that people will see and give glory to God. First he focuses on the desire, then on the behavior. So many times we focus on the behavior and try to fix the desire. That's why I said, very beginning, we got to live from the inside out. Church, we have to fight first at the level of our desires and then at the level of our conduct. We're to work on the cause, not just treat the symptoms. We're to get deep into the roots and let God do that work inside of us. We want strong foundations with Jesus being the chief cornerstone, not just pretty edifices. The reason for this is that our lives when they're not good and our conduct is not excellent, it's not beautiful. But even if we have this good conduct and we have these good lives on the outside, that edifice, if you will, if our inside is not right, it's not going to point people to the glory of God. It's just going to point people to us. Jesus said this way to the Pharisees. He says, hey, listen, Matthew 23, he said, you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup. You make all the stuff on the outside, all the things that you do, the edifice, if you will, the branches of the tree, you try to make it so beautiful. But on the inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. In other words, it doesn't do any good to try to beautify your conduct on the outside without changing the desires on the inside. There's no real weight to actions that are not from a pure heart. So we do what we do because of who we are, God's chosen people. And then it's for the glory of the one who made us who we are. And then we trust God to do his work. And I'll close with this. How does verse 12 work? You may ask, well, how, how does us declaring God's praises and how does us abstaining from sinful desires and how does all this work and actually point people to the glory of God? 
How does living such good lives and excellent behavior point people to God's glory? The answer, I think, is given actually two verses down in verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Don't forget that part. I like to say it this way. Church, when we live such inexplicable lives, people are going to want an explanation. Let's go back and talk about the weightiness, if you will. What if the weight of what we're doing together is so heavy that it can't be ignored? Ever heard the saying, the weight of evidence? Man, the weight of evidence is so strong and heavy against this person or this thing. It's got to be true. What if the weight of evidence, that's the glory of God, is so evident, is so compelling in how we live our lives together as the church, here and outside of here, that it's so heavy that the one and only way to live such a powerful life that people would ask, what must I do to be saved when they look at us? It's so heavy that it's pointing so much to the fact that God is real. It's glorifying God so much that we live externally in such a way that gives us the opportunity to explain where our hope is. What Peter's saying here is that when people look at you and what they see expressed in your actions is glorifying to God, they want to know what your hope is in because it's obvious that your hope's not in the things that they have their hope in. When they see us live such inexplicable countercultural ways that it seems foreign to them, like it seems like you're some kind of alien, that they notice that you have your hope in something different. And they want to know what that is. So they ask you about your hope. Where did you get your confidence? Where did you get your contentment? Where did you get your satisfaction when you act the way that you act in the middle of these situations? Please explain yourself because this is inexplicable. You're acting like you're from some kind of other planet. And when we direct our desires to God and find hope and contentment in His mercy and power and promises, then our outward lives start to show what Peter calls living good lives. Excellent behavior. It's how you love people. And how do you, how, how do y'all love each other? I don't get that. It's your selfless generosity. And have you seen the economy and you're telling me you, you do what? You give to the church? What about peaceful suffering? How is it that you have so much peace while you're going through this? These behaviors point to God's glory because they point to a sure, satisfying object of our desires, our internal desires, and a hope that's not of this world. So if you want to fight for your soul to not be destroyed, and if you want to magnify the glory of God so that it would not be disparaged, and if you want to say yes to the weight and the importance of God in a world that doesn't, then you see yourself as an alien, a chosen exile from heaven, and focus your desires on God so that your hope is in Him and not in this world, and the result will be a beautiful community that is inexplicable to people that look at us and go, who are y'all, and why do y'all do this, and how do you do this? And all of a sudden, we can give an answer and explanation for what our hope is in and how we're able to do what God has called us to do. That's how we live this way. You know, we often talk about it in these contexts of our infatuations with aliens and alien invasion. 
But that's really what Jesus was trying to do when he said, go therefore into the world making disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. He was talking about an alien invasion of the world around us. And that's what I would love for us in Focus Church to continue to do as the beautiful community that God has made us to be, is to invade every space that you go into with an internal desire for God alone so that your external actions bring glory to God and point people to the Savior that has rescued us. Amen. Let's pray and ask God to do that work in us even now. Heavenly Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm asking you, Jesus, to finish the work that you started, and that's a good prayer because your word says that's what you're going to do. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're saying, listen, my desires, <laughs> my desires need some realigning, some reprioritizing. If I'm honest, God's down like, you know, number eight on my top ten. Listen, there's no reason to be condemned by that. We go through seasons and we go through moments in life where we all forget the one who has created us and given us breath. But right now, you can just affirm to your gracious, loving, heavenly Father who is always with you and never leaves you, God, I want to realign my desires. I want to live in such a way that people realize that, yeah, I enjoy the things that you have given me and blessed me with, but my hope's not in them. My hope's not in this world. My hope's not in this place. My hope's not in power. My hope's not in money. My hope's not in anything, God, my, except my hope is in you, in Christ alone. That's where my hope rests. And Lord, I am praying that every inexplicable relationship that we have, even within this church, how we love one another, how we serve one another, the relationships that you've given us outside these four walls of how we love and serve others would be so inexplicable that you would do something great. Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocusChurch. Church.